Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is indeed precious to us, more precious than gold or silver, to have your word before us this morning in a tongue that we can understand. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to comprehend what you have said for us this morning to hear. And so, Lord, we pray that we may be more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result of hearing your word preached this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you do any travel around Sydney or any other part of the world, one of the most valuable things that you can have is a GPS. I don't really understand how I would have lived uh, without one before, and particularly I use my phone these days. I use the map on that, and it, it knows where I am in space, and it is just so helpful in helping me to get around Sydney. I was not very much aware of uh, the different suburbs in Sydney until I moved to Dremoyne, and it's just been wonderful having something to guide me around as I've visited different, part, different suburbs within Sydney. But sometimes GPSs fail. And what do you fall back upon then? I do have a hard copy of a map in the car, just in case. But what about uh, when you're in areas where the GPS just isn't functioning and you may not have access to a map? Well, the best thing that you can do in such circumstances is look at signs. Signs are very helpful in getting you to areas that are large and uh, that are common, and they can direct you to different suburbs and places around Sydney. And I remember when I first started using the Sydney Tunnel, that signs were so valuable to me once again because GPSs don't really know where you are once you go underground. And going to the airport, going to the eastern suburbs, I just continued to look for that little logo of a, an aeroplane and just focused on that, on every sign that I saw to get me through the tunnel safely to the other side of Sydney and going down to the eastern suburbs. This morning, we're going to look at signs. We're going to look at signs in particular that are given to us in Scripture. The word sign is used in the passage that is before us in John chapter 4. We've been working through John chapter 4, and we've been seeing how Jesus has interacted with the people of Samaria, and then he has come back to his own country of Galilee, and there a man has met him and asked for his help. This man has asked that Jesus would heal his son. And we see that in verses 46 of John chapter 4 and following. I encourage you to open your church Bible this morning, or if you've brought your own, open it up to John chapter 4, which is page 1053 of the Black Church Bibles, page 1053. John chapter 4, verse 46, we read, Once more he, that's Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man has a son who is very unwell and he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his son. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement in verse 48. Quite a troublesome statement for us to hear in some ways. In verse 48, after this man has begged for healing for his son, Jesus says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Jesus mentions signs here. 
And uh, the word in Greek is just the word for signs. Um, and the NIV has popped the word miraculous in front of it to try and help us understand what Jesus is referring to when he talks about signs. The word wonders is there as well to help us understand what a sign is that Jesus is speaking about. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about miracles. He's talking about events that happen that are beyond human competence, things that seem to be supernatural, And in that sense, God. God is supernatural to us. He has power that is far greater than us. And he can interact in this world and do what we call miracles, events that are just beyond our ability to do, things that we cannot do. And Jesus here rebukes not just the royal official here, but he rebukes everybody that's in his immediate vicinity. It's very interesting what he says here about signs and wonders. He says, unless you people... The word people is not there in the original, but it's the word you is there. It's plural. It's many people is used, uh, the word you there in the Greek. And so the NIVs put the word people there. Unless you people see miracles, miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Jesus is saying to all the people there, if you don't believe, uh, you, if you don't see miraculous signs and wonders, you will not believe. What does he mean? <clears throat> well... He's saying that these people are really interested in miracles for the miracle's sake. They're interested in seeing miraculous signs and wonders because they like to see signs and wonders. Jesus is like a magician, a performer that is going around, and they're really interested in seeing the miracles that Jesus can do. They like the show. And, of course, they like the benefits that the miracles bring as well. Who doesn't want someone instantly healed or your own illness instantly be restored to full health instantly? Who doesn't want someone to turn your water into something that is much more pleasurable to drink, such as wine? Who doesn't want uh, some bread and some fish multiplied many, many times without any expense to yourself? So these people are quite interested in seeing the miracles of Jesus But Jesus knows that they're wanting these miracles for the miracles' sake themselves. They want the benefits of these miracles. They're seeking them for a show. But what does Jesus do in the face of such unbelief of these people where they're constantly wanting miracles? It's very interesting what he does. He rebukes them. And then he actually condescends and does a miracle for them. We read that in the text. He rebukes them in verse 48, and then the royal official says in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Jesus says, unless you you see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. And then he goes and does a miraculous sign. He restores the health of this boy. He brings him back from death to life. He was close to death. And that's why this miracle is so powerful here. The boy was close to death, and it's a healing by remote control as well. 
Doctors just don't operate in that sphere. They don't heal by remote control. You usually have to go and see them and they apply some sort of treatment to you. But Jesus heals this boy even though he's never seen the boy. And the father wasn't expecting Jesus to do that because he actually asked Jesus to come down before my child dies in verse 49. He expected Jesus would have to come to see his son if his son was to be healed. And we also see that the healing was immediately, that it happened straight away. The father makes inquiries and we see that it happened at the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. The boy, in a totally different location, 33 kilometers away, he was healed. This is a powerful miracle that Jesus does here. And God has done this in the past. He does miracles repeatedly in the Bible to bring people to believe in him. He condescends again and again, particularly in the Old Testament. You can read through it and you see different miracles that, Jesus, uh, that God does through the hands of his people. An example would be Exodus chapter 4, which we had read earlier to us about Moses. He's asking, how will the people believe me when I come to them and say that God is going to set them free from the Israelites, uh, from the Egyptians, set the Israelites free from the Egyptians? How will they believe? And so God gives him a number of signs, signs that point to the fact that Moses is a man of God and that he is, that God is there and God actually cares about them. These are signs, they are like signposts that point people to, to God. And we see that in the Old Testament. And even in this morning I've been reading in my uh, quiet time, I've been working through Judges. And Gideon is a little apprehensive about whether God is going to deliver the Midianites into his hands. And so what does he do? He asks for a sign. He puts out this fleece and watches dew on it back and forth. He does it over two different days. He has that as a sign, a wonder, a miracle that God is going to act. So God condescends so that people will believe, and we see that in the text, that, these, that the man and his household, it says in verse 53, believe as a result of this sign. Jesus has pointed to the fact that he is from God, and the household believes. The servants who come to meet the man on the way, very likely to have believed. Household can mean servants as well as children and other members of the man's family. And so they come to faith as a result of this sign. And that's pointed out in verse 54 that this was a miraculous sign. It says in verse 54, this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. <laughs> so this is this man. These are the people of the time. They got these signs from Jesus that brought them to faith in Jesus. What about us today? Does God, Jesus rebuke you today for seeking miracles? Does God do miracles today? Does he give us miraculous signs and wonders? Well, it depends how you define a miracle. If we define a miracle as something that is beyond human competence, that is something that is done by God, that is beyond us to do, then yes, God does miracles all the time. We just don't consider them necessarily as miracles because we see them as so commonplace. Every time someone loves somebody else, it's a miracle. When we consider how depraved we are, how sinful we are, how selfish we are, how much we love to hate others, how angry we get at the drop of a hat, 
Every time we love somebody else, it's a miracle. Every time somebody loves God, it's a miracle. Every conversion is a miracle, where someone is brought from being dead in sins to alive in Christ Jesus. That's a miracle. But every time we love another individual on this planet, that's a miracle as well. Whenever somebody loves another person by giving them a ride to church, by speaking to them, taking the time to talk to them when they wouldn't necessarily do so, whenever somebody has somebody over for a meal, somebody that they're not necessarily friends with, they have them into their home, that's a miracle as they do an act of love which goes against our sinful nature, the grain which we love to follow so much. You want a modern-day miracle? The fact that Joel loves Jill, his wife. If you knew anything about Joel, you know how selfish he is, how much his sinful nature is a part of him still. And every time he loves his wife or every time he loves his children, it's a miracle. It's an act that God does in Joel that is beyond Joel's capability. And, of course, creation is miraculous as well. We see it so often around us and we just don't see the miraculous nature of it. Every time a child is born, it's a real miracle. If you understand anything about the human body and anatomy that's involved, and it's just incredible. Miracles all around us, things that God does. Frankenstein and his monster, they're a fiction. It's not possible to create life. Life is created by God, and every life around us is indeed a miracle because it is an act that is beyond our capability. So that is one sphere of miracles that we could say, yes, God still does miracles today. But what about signs and wonders in the sense that we see in the biblical sense where people get healed instantly, people walk on water, storms are calmed with a command? What about those kinds of miracles today? Does God still do those? Does, do storms suddenly stop that are going to hurt people? Do plane engines suddenly start that were previously stopping and it looked like you were going to plummet out of the sky and then it suddenly comes back on for no particular reason? Well, yes, God can do such miracles today. But should we seek such miracles? Because this is what verse 48 is so troublesome for us because it's a rebuke that Jesus makes to so many people there. He says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. If we seek miracles for the sake of miracles themselves, then yes, that is wrong. If we seek these miracles, we want people healed because we'd like to see that person stay a little longer on this earth. If we want a storm to be stopped because it's doing immense financial damage to our house and we really don't like that, then we've got to be careful about seeking such miracles as an end in themselves. Yes, you can pray about such things, but we've got to be careful about hungering after such miracles as an end in themselves because they may be feeding our gods, our idols that we've created. We love someone so much that they've actually taken priority over God and we want them healed to stay with us because they are a God in our life or we want the storm to stop so that our precious house, which we love dearly, is not damaged and so we can continue to worship it and find joy from it alone. 
But if we want miracles so that we would believe, is that wrong? Do we want signs and wonders from God so that our faith will be strengthened in him? Well, my answer to that has to be that it's not necessarily wrong. That no, it's not wrong to want signs and wonders so that we will believe in God so that we will believe in his son. Because we have to remember that we're weak and sinful creatures and we need the miraculous to happen to us if we are to believe in God. There is a problem with all mankind. What is that? We are blind to God. If sin hadn't entered into the world, then of course we'd believe in God. Of course we'd worship him accordingly. But since sin has come into the world... We are blind to the truth about God. And in one sense, we do need the miraculous. Do you think you're blind? The scriptures tell us that we're blind. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1144. Page 1144. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look with me at verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, page 1144 says, Rather, we have renounced, this is Paul speaking, secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Man has a veil over his eyes. The God of this age, Satan, one who is worshipped by so many as a God, he has blinded people's eyes to the truth. And so, in one sense, we need the miraculous so that we would believe. We see that again and again in the Old Testament. People believe as they see signs from God that point them to Jesus. The signs are not ends in themselves. They're meant to point you to God. Otherwise, it's as foolish as camping out at a signpost. Imagine you have a sign that says paradise pointing this way. And you go, oh, isn't it a wonderful sign? And you sit down and live there. That's what people are doing when they look to miracles as an end in themselves. God gives us this sign, many signs, miracles that point us to the fact that he is there and that he should be worshipped. So does that mean then you should look for healings? You should look for storms to be calmed, for plane engines to start again, for food to be multiplied without you having to do anything? For a jar of oil to never give out, uh, never stop giving out oil, as there's one in the Old Testament that does. And then that will help you believe that God is there and that you should believe in his son. Well, this is where I have to say no. Yes, we should want the miraculous. We should want miraculous signs to help us to understand God, that he is there and that he should be worshipped. But we shouldn't need them today. We shouldn't seek healings so that we will believe. Why? Because we have the scriptures that tell us about the signs that God has given us in the past. This is more than sufficient testimony to the fact that God has worked miracles in the past that can 
help us to trust in him today. I mean, that's the whole purpose of John, this book that we've been studying. What does John chapter 20, verse 30 say? Turn with me now to page 1075. 1075. Where Jesus has, uh, John has just given an, a record of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and Thomas seeing Jesus. And then he says on page 1075, John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. I've basically saying I've recorded a whole bunch of signs. They're not all of them, but I've recorded some here. Now, why did he record them? Verse 31. But these ones are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of God is sufficient to bring you to faith in Jesus. You do need signs to point you to Christ. You're dead in your sins. You need miracles to happen. But you have enough signs recorded in this scripture to point you to Christ and for you to have faith. The word is sufficient. You don't need more miracles. Because the miracles that you need are recorded in the scriptures for you to believe. And one miracle in particular is far greater than any other miracle. What is that miracle? What miracle did Jesus do that far outweighs them all, that makes the others pale in significance? Even feeding 5,000 plus women and kids from a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish or calming a storm. What is the miracle that far surpasses them? His resurrection. Jesus coming back from death to life. Why is it so marvellous, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection? Well, he came back from an excruciating death that was definitely a death. He had a spear plunged into his side. He was truly dead. Wasn't kind of dead and someone did some resuscitation on him later. He was definitely dead, yet he came back to life. He also died a death under God's wrath at the cross. He was being punished for the sins of those who belong to God. It wasn't an ordinary death. It was a death under the wrath of God. Yet he came back to life from that as well. He took the sins of many upon him and yet was restored from the grave. He also, we see in the scriptures, he rose bodily. It wasn't like his spirit came up in some way. He returned as a ghost. No, he had a bodily resurrection and a body that has continued to live and is still alive today. Whereas we see the other resurrections in the scriptures, those are what we more term resuscitations, where Lazarus comes back to life, but he died later on. Jesus didn't die after his resurrection. Amazing miracle. We also see in the scriptures that it's taught that Jesus raised himself from the dead. How do you raise yourself when you're dead? But Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life and also to take it up again. It's because he was divine. His human nature died. His human body died. But God, the son of God himself did not die. And so he raised himself to life. And Jesus also rose with multiple eyewitnesses of this miracle. 
The Bible tells us that up to 500 people saw him at one time. And, of course, he appeared over many days to his disciples. So, yes, we need miracles. We need signs to point us to God because of our sinfulness. If we didn't have revelation from God, then we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be blind. But God gives us these miraculous signs so that we will believe in him. And he gives us one major sign in particular that every Christian has believed down through the ages, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is more than adequate for faith in God and his Son and for forgiveness of sins. We don't need to upgrade the resurrection to a sign today. You don't need someone to be healed dramatically for you to believe. You don't need your car to start at the right moment so that you will believe that there is a God. You don't need to believe that God will bring uh, God will bring someone into your life that you can marry and live happily ever after with as a miracle, that someone would marry you, and then you will believe and trust in God for the rest of your life. You don't need those things. You don't need to upgrade the sign. We understand about signs needing upgrading on our roads. I don't know if you've noticed, but the sign that points to Dremoyne Baptist Church here on Tranmere Street has a typo on it. It says, from the council, let's put this sign in place, it says, Drum Baptist Church. Drum, not Dremoyne, D-R-U-M, drum. We don't have any drums in this Baptist church, but it's broadcast on Tranmere Street that this is Drum Baptist Church. Now, that was installed about seven years ago when I was first here at Dremoyne. And I've watched that sign. I've watched it, as I've walked past it many times, I've watched it to deteriorate, for wear and tear to happen on it. So then I have a grounds to go to the council and say, look, can you change that sign? And this time, actually spell Dremoyne correctly. You figure the local council would know how Dremoyne is spelled. But the sign doesn't wear out. Council signs are made to last. doesn't matter how much it rains, how much sun bounces off that sign... It continues to be there, and it's in a kind of protected position where no car will run into it very easily as well. It has a garden bed near it. It's protected. Wear and tear just doesn't seem to happen to it. But we know that wear and tear will eventually take down that sign one day. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a sign is not subject to wear and tear, and it doesn't need to be upgraded. There's no typo on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a sufficient sign. We don't need any more. So we should come to this resurrection of Jesus. Whenever we are doubting, whenever we are failing in our faith as a Christian, we should meditate upon what? Upon the greatest sign that has ever been given to humanity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if you can have eternal life? Well, look to the fact that Jesus Christ has eternal life and listen to what he has to say. And he says, if you repent of your sins and believe in me, then you can have eternal life too. If you're shaky in your faith, meditate upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now we say, well, some people, they just won't believe unless they see some sort of miracle in their life, unless they see their cancer shrink in the blink of an eye, they won't believe. 
How do I bring my non-Christian friends to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great sign that he is there, he is not silent, and he is worthy of our trust? How do I do that? Well, the answer is actually in our text. The answer is pain. Pain and suffering. What brought this man to come to Jesus? What brought him to Jesus? And so then he saw this sign from Jesus. It was pain. As he looked and saw his son dying and his powerlessness in the situation to bring healing to his son, he then came to Jesus. You can see the pain in this man as you read the passage. If you read it closely, we read in verse 47. Look with me at verse 47, John chapter 4, page 1054. John chapter 4, verse 47, it says, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man is in pain. We can see that in verse 47. But we see it in later verses as well. Then Jesus says in verse 48, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him you will never believe. A bit of a rebuke to the man. What does the man say? In verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus has rebuked him. Does he give up? No, he's in pain. He's worried about this son who's dying. And so he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus for help. And that's what we need our friends and family to have, is this pain that comes into their life where they're powerless in a situation and they then come to Jesus. Would this man have come to Jesus if his son hadn't been laying dying? I don't think so. But in his pain, he comes to Jesus. He asks for Jesus' help. And then he takes Jesus at his word. It says there in verse, uh, in verse 50, Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He, he listened to what Jesus had to say. And then he went away to examine whether what Jesus had said was true. Jesus had said, your son will live, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go and see whether that's indeed true. And while he's on his way, his, disciple, his uh, servants meet him and tell him that his son is living. And the man believes. And that's what we need our non-Christian family and friends to have experienced. They need to experience pain in their lives, a powerlessness, a helplessness, and then they will come to Jesus. They will hear his words. They will see the sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then they will believe. If they truly understand what it means that Jesus has been raised to life, they will believe. But they need pain first. Maybe the pain of some sort of suffering. Or a family member who's dying. Maybe losing their job at work. Maybe losing all their worldly possessions overnight. It's often driven people to God. Maybe it's understanding the true nature of hell. That there is torment and pain for those who are apart from God for eternity. As they understand their helplessness to save themselves from such punishment, as they understand the pain that is before them, they're driven to Christ to hear what he has to say, say and then examine it like this man did. He went away and examined whether Jesus' word was true. And as they examine the words of Christ 
they truly understand what is being taught here, they will come to faith in him. And so if you're not a Christian and you want to know God, you want to know if God is there, ask God to show you the reality of hell. Ask God to show you how painful your life will be if you live apart from him. Don't ask for a word from heaven because a word from heaven has already come. Jesus, the word, the man of heaven, has come into this world and has given us the greatest sign that we could ever receive, his resurrection from the dead. If you're not a Christian, examine the word. Examine the testimony here about the greatest of signs. Consider your soul's destination. And I encourage you, put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Don't delay. You have more than sufficient reason to do so. And if you are a Christian and you want your friend to be driven to Christ, ask God to reveal the reality of hell to that person. Maybe even ask God to bring some pain into that person's life. It's a scary prayer to pray. But maybe for some people you should be praying, Lord, do whatever it takes. Send them to the depths of this, this earth. Send them into deep depression. Send them, take away everything that they have that they worship and give them a sense of helplessness and powerlessness. Give them a sense of pain and suffering so that they are driven to Christ because that's what happens in this passage and it's happened again and again in the past you see God does it again and again with the Israelites he brings in foreign nations who hurt his people so that they then cry out to him for deliverance it's a scary prayer to pray but sometimes we need to pray that prayer for friends and family because we want to see them avoid the pain of hell forever We should pray about friends and family. Do whatever it takes, O Lord, so that they're saved, even if it means pain and suffering in their lives, even if it means some sort of debilitating illness. If you could use that to bring them to you, then do it, because I want to see them saved from eternity in hell. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it reveals to us that you are there and you are not silent, that you have given us many signs and wonders, that you are there and you have interacted with your people again and again. We thank you most of all for the sign of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. We thank you that this points us to proof that you are there and you love your people and will bring them back to life one day. Lord, we pray that we would accept those extra signs that you give us, the miracles that are all around us in one sense. But Lord, we pray that we may never look for miracles for the sake of miracles themselves. But Lord, we pray that we will always rest ourselves upon the miracles of Scripture and that one mighty miracle of all, Jesus Christ coming back from the dead. And, Lord, we do pray for those in our lives who we are concerned about, who we'd love to see come to faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes 
as painful as it may be for us to see them suffer. Lord, we pray that you may even bring suffering into their lives if necessary so that they would believe. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.